training, weed, and booty. Just like ass, ass, ass everywhere. What was the most transformative plant ceremony you've had and why? I desire this person. I love this person. There's nothing more than I want this person. And to understand like, that's just not what's happening right now. What's up, bro? What's going on, Justin? I'm glad we could make this happen. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we're in this really cool situation because, Sean, you're about to have a baby. So we're making things work uh, during this uh, during this process. I mean, what, any day now, right? Yes, that's correct. And I really appreciate you working with me, Justin. I think for our listeners, just to give some behind-the-scenes stuff, which I think is always fun, Justin and I, if you've heard us on previous episodes, have reconnected in an amazing way. Justin's invited me to be a part of this phenomenal community in Nirvana Nation. And Justin was like, hey, bro, I, I know you're having a kid soon, but I would love to get you on some podcasts and talk about some things. And so we are shoehorning this in as we get ready for baby and with everything else going on in life and then going to take a little bit of a break. So if you don't hear me on here, please don't know I just disappeared. I'm just diving into dad life and then I'll pop my head up and we'll record some more together. Yeah, we're going to try to make this work as, as much as we can. I really love that we can do this uh, via Zoom and make this happen. Uh, today's podcast, I'm excited because uh, it's a little bit different. We're going to do like a Q&A. We reached out um, to Nirvana Nation, our members in Nirvana Nation, and want to know what kind of questions they may have for us. And then also on Instagram, we got a bunch of fun questions that we can kind of dive into and uh, kind of share our thoughts and feelings on each one of them. So... Yeah, man, I'm excited for this podcast, actually, because I always love um, essentially what you have to always say if you're full of great knowledge and uh, I like the way you articulate. So I'm excited to get into some of these. That was the genesis of our first podcasting together, because for our listeners, Justin started my podcasting career on My Two Cents and I because you have a lot of wisdom, too, from life experience. And I think you brought me onto the show to add a little bit of color in so far as, hey, audience, check out this book. Like, this is what Justin's talking about. This person also talked about it through history. And it's cool that we get to do that now, but, or, and having evolved both of us, whether it's, I, I know I'm way more confident to step into a podcast after doing hundreds of episodes. I know you have opened up into being more curious. You've been mm -hmm. adding some of the intellectual knowledge to your experiential <laughs> knowledge. And Reading. so it's, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but shout out to reading for anybody getting shout into it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny though. Yeah, man, but um, that's so true. I think, uh, how long ago was my two cents? It must have been almost, what, eight years ago now? Seven, eight um, years ago? Yeah, it was actually, yes, it was eight years ago because I believe we started in 2015. Yeah, yeah, so it's been a minute. And like you said, we've had a lot more experiences under our belt now, more podcasts. Uh, and yeah, I started reading about three years ago. So, um, and it's it's great for me to be able to gift one of my best friends books that I read because that's my main go to, bro. And when I have people who are like, I don't read, I'm like, I don't know what to get you. Oh my goodness! Yeah, now looking back, it's funny. Um, I remember even like four years ago, I would just tell my friends, I'm like, wait till I start reading, man. It's gonna <laughs> you be great. saw it coming. I saw it coming and um, yeah, it's been wonderful getting into books and I really like actually buying books. I'm a bit of a, a snob though. I really like hardcover books. Um, I like collecting hardcover books and I like it looking all nice. I got my bookshelf 
And uh, I really enjoy collecting books now and reading books now. It's something that has definitely become a part of my uh, everyday ritual. I appreciate the insight on your bookshelf because anyone listening, if you've been to Justin's house, you do see a lot of books without the cover. And someone like me who loves reading, I grab a book and I'm like, I have no idea what this is about. So I literally just take photos to, to research later because I'm like, there's no jacket, there's no inside nope. what this book is about, <laughs> but it does look really clean. Yeah, I actually, I get the book and it's a hardcover and it has like the sleeve like it normally would. I take that sleeve and I throw it away. So I'm like, oh, here it got, this looks way better. It looks nice and clean. But I love your setup that you have right behind you. That's really yeah. catchy. I dig yeah. it. And that's your book right behind your it shoulder. Is. Yeah, shameless plug, my book, Hack Your Health, which is mainly about mindset and fitness, a little bit of what people will probably hear on this podcast. And then I honestly got this from ESPN and sports analysts because they will put books behind them. And mm -hmm. I have a lot of fun treating them like Easter eggs. They, of course, plug their own book, which I did. And then I also like this whole row is more spirituality, is more of the woo-woo type stuff. And so I do put this, whether it's in a reel or a podcast for people to hopefully find them. And so okay. it would be like, if you had your bookcase behind you and someone's like, let me, let me just pause that. Let me zoom in. Like what, what is Justin reading? Because all these books have provided me tremendous value. All right. Well, you know, let's actually start off, um, just maybe listing our three, maybe top books. Uh, cause a lot of people do ask this. It wasn't in one of the questions, but maybe go ahead and list your, your, your three top books that you uh, would recommend. Uh, let's hear it. That's a great question. I appreciate it. The first one's going to be the Bhagavad Gita. You and I have talked about this previously, Justin. It's a thousands year old, thousands of years old Hindu text. It reads a lot like a Jesus story for any of our listeners who are of the Judeo-Christian faith with Krishna, who is God in man form. So very similar to Jesus. However, I joke that Krishna is extra Jesus. He like knows he's Jesus and he would be doing water to wine every weekend. He seems like he enjoys a good time. And it's a conversation with a disciple of his, that that's all the book is. And they talk about life. They talk a lot about the meaning of life, finding purpose <clears throat> and Gandhi. It was apparently the book that led his life. It, Jay Shetty, who's a modern day philosopher. He said that it's his favorite. It's led his life. Highly recommend anybody read it. Feel free to message me for the link too, because the edition that I have has some great translations in English. Second book that I would recommend is Tools of Titans. It's a rather large one. I'm pointing to it over my shoulder by Tim Ferriss. And it's an aggregation of a lot of the people that he interviewed on his podcast. And they tease out three or four pages of knowledge. So Justin, if you were on the show, you'd have this hour, hour and a half long episode with Tim. And then he would distill down in three or four pages, the main hits of your routine, what makes you successful, what makes you happy in life. Please, listeners, do not be dismayed by the size because it's a very easy book to pop in and out of. It literally has a list of people in the front. So for instance, Justin and I might be interested in Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's one of the guests. You can find Arnold, find his page, read the three pages on Arnold, close the book and go about your day, but really consume a lot of knowledge on that. And then I am going to plug my, my book, Hacker Health, and make that the third one, also because I can't think of a third one right now. But mm -hmm. that one has a lot of the mindset and fitness strategies and hacks, quote unquote, that I've used in my life to what I would expect really good results. I think you as well, Justin, we go about our lives and we do our thing. And then someone's like, Hey man, like, how are you doing X, Y, Z? And it really makes you start to be thoughtful about that and think about what's helped you. And I was able to put that in a book, which is cool. Nice. I, um, I really love the book. Um, and I'm right now reading it again, I think maybe for the third time with the book club in Nirvana nation, uh, the end of your world by Adashante. 
And uh, it's just a really great book that kind of breaks down the remembering or awakening process as we go through this journey um, in all the ways in a very uh, simplified way as well. And a lot of people just seem to really connect to it. So it's one of the books that, uh, especially when you get into, I guess, plant medicine or meditation and you're going through these multiple awakenings or these multiple ego deaths, it's a really great book to just kind of um, find some familiarity, I would say, as you go through whatever um, chapter you're in. So I definitely recommend that book, The End of Your World. Uh, and I also love, I think, The Seven Principles or The Seven Principles to Success by Deepak. I think that's yeah, what it Deepak is, Chopra. Right? Yeah, that's a really great book. And it kind of gets him more into the, I guess, the um, the laws of the universe. I really I really started getting to that. And the same with is the, it the hermetic. Is it the hermetic seven hermetic principles? principles? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's not exactly, but they kind of align almost exactly. And uh, that's something that I've been really leaning into is the, the essentially the laws of the universe and kind of playing with that. And so I've really enjoyed that. And then I would have to say anything Eckhart Tolle. I love how he simplifies everything in the power of now and the new earth and everything is about presence, which is kind of my uh, forte as well. Everything is about creating stillness and presence. And then from that, um, remembering the awakening, uh, the ability for, for growth is all in that space. So uh, yeah, th I think those are my my three go-tos for sure. Well, four technically, but yeah. I'm going to co-sign on the Adyashanti End of Your World. It was a book that you recommended for me, and I saw it in hardcover form in your house, and I took a picture and then ordered it, read it, loved it. I've gifted it to a couple people in my life. I've also gone really hard in the paint with Adyashanti, so I'm currently reading Emptiness Dancing, which is another book from him. And then I ordered just recently another book, because I he's rather prolific. He has maybe half a dozen books that he's written. And I've really enjoyed making them a part of my daily practices. I refer to them as scripture, Justin, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term, because I feel like it really, especially before meditation, it really primes my brain. And I intend to just continue to read all of his books. So highly recommend for our listeners, anything by Adyashanti. Yeah, I'm really enjoying his stuff. And what was that, that last one you just said? So the, the one I'm reading now is Emptiness Dancing. How do you like that so far? It's amazing. Uh, I, I would recommend those listening to start with End of Your World. Mm. The book Emptiness Dancing has what's in End of Your World, like he'll expand on some of these topics. And he also has a back and forth with students. Uh, apparently, some of it was recorded from when he was giving lectures and talks or the conversation rather, because he does include the student questions. And there are some there where I kind of just skim through it. And there are some there where I'm like, wow, this is an amazing question from his student. And he has these really fascinating real world analogies that I think people in the spiritual world using a broad term miss sometimes is making these, I guess, opaque topics more digestible for the modern day human. And I think he does a great job. And so those who read end of your world and are like, wow, I want to go deeper in emptiness dancing, they're going to get questions that they may ask to a spiritual advisor and then get that answer, which is cool. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. He makes everything very digestible, I would say. Agreed. <clears throat> All right. Let's get into, I'll let you actually take the lead on these questions. I really like uh, you actually taking the lead. I love it. <laughs> awesome. So, well, thank you for that. I received that. First off, I want to point out for everyone listening, highly recommend that you give Nirvana Nation Facebook group a look 
It's the group that Justin and I first started doing Q and A's in, and it's an amazing community for people who are going through their own awakenings, going through their own personal development journeys. And we can have honest conversations, which I personally have not found the ability to have elsewhere. And so we're going to have a link to the community in the show notes. In addition to access to me, Justin, and other coaches on the team, where we can have those thoughtful conversations, you also get free live virtual breath work. You also get discounts on programs and everything else that we are diving into. And it's only $18 a month. And so for anybody who's looking for a community, because Justin and I often get that question, where do I find a community? If you don't have it in your local area in real life, you can get it through Nirvana Nation. So that's the plug for the group. Highly recommend checking it out. It's something that Justin and I both believe in. And these questions that we're going to dive in now are taken right from the group. So this first question to kick things off is from Abby Tucker. She's an amazing individual in the group. She's supplied so many amazing questions, not only for our Q&A in the group, but for the podcast as well. So the first one is, what was the most transformative plant ceremony you've had and why? And Justin, I'll let you go first. Ooh, so I would have to probably say, you know, there was actually quite a few that were very transformative. I'm going to go with the very first DMT experience um, that I did in the comfort of my own home out of my volcano. <laughs> um, it was really quite beautiful. So I was very excited. I, I, I really wasn't nervous about anything when it came to doing it. And I also... Um, kind of normally how I approach things. I, I didn't really do much research into um, DMT and um, what it was all about. I knew that um, it was a much faster approach into this realm that I used to go through with mushrooms. And uh, so, yeah, I was really quite excited. So when I sat down to do it, um, I was primed, I was ready. And I I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I just want to be a rocket. I just want to be a fucking rocket. And become nothing, just, just blast off and become nothing, just consciousness. And that's literally what I became. I became a rocket and, uh, I'm driving towards outer space as a rocket. And then I hit the atmosphere. And as soon as I hit the atmosphere, I became absolutely nothing, absolutely nobody, just consciousness. And in this space of nothingness, um, I felt uh, a female entity right next to me, powerful, powerful female entity, full of love, full of radiance. And she acknowledges me and I acknowledge her in this nothingness in this space. And she starts filling me up with love and filling me up with love, um, tremendous amounts of love. And she stops for a moment and she acknowledges that I am familiar with this love. And I let her know, I go, yes, I actually know this love. And she kind of like tipped her hat to me a little bit and she goes, okay. And she fills me up with more love and more love and more love. And it got to the point where I was already burst into nothingness, but it happened again. I filled all the way up again and just exploded into more nothingness. It seems into infinite space. Uh, and then she stops again and she goes, you're familiar with this love as well. And I remember kind of smiling in this space of nothingness. Uh, there's no physical form, but I felt like I was smiling in the space of, of nothingness. And I go, yes, I also know this love. And I felt really proud that, uh, I love myself. I love who I am. I love what I stand for. I know my truth. And it felt really good to acknowledge that um, in such a way in this space. And she acknowledges that again, kind of tips her cap to me. And then, uh, but then she also lets me know, like, I just want you to know that most people uh, on this plane in this space aren't familiar with this type of love. They don't know it. 
And then at that very moment, I felt sadness. Um, a little bit, I guess I felt a little bit ignorant as well. Cause I was like in my own world, I think going through life this entire time thinking everybody felt <laughs> kind of like I did, like super happy, super lovey. And as soon as I felt almost even guilty for it in a sense, uh, she stopped me immediately from feeling any guilt and goes, no, 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 that's not the point of this. I just want you to know so that you can go out there and show them, go out there and show them what it, what it feels like to love like this, what it feels like, uh, to love yourself. And, um, that was my first trip. Just go out there and let them know, go out there and show them, uh, this entity come and telling me this. And, uh, that was my first DMT trip. I didn't really understand what that meant at the time. Cause I think this was around, I would say nine years ago now, 10 years ago now, maybe wow. that far. Yeah. And like I said, I really wasn't doing any research on plant medicine. I really wasn't diving deep and into um these practices it was more so very just intuitive like all right I'm, I'm going for it and um yeah so like the i thought that she that, that she wanted me to get everybody to like literally smoke dmt at this point and so i'm <laughs> which I have, I have my mission i got the download Let's go. i got the download everybody come over to my house we're gonna smoke dmt in my living room um which wasn't the case I mean, I definitely tried to get everybody to smoke DMT in my <laughs> living room. I, I tried. <laughs> I tried and I, I got quite a few, but you know, I was like, you know, that definitely wasn't the message. It was just, you know, be love, go out there and be love, lead with love, um, you know, be yourself, you know, and, and that, it's kind of like, it, it's funny. It's like, I didn't really take it as a, a mission at that point. I, I really did think that, you know, everyone's supposed to like smoke this medicine and, and kind of, you know, have the experience. Uh, I, I much later figured out like, hey, you know, it's just by leading by loving example, doing the inner work, doing my meditation practices, becoming very mindful and very aware of how I consumed in this world, uh, the businesses I supported, the way I showed up, uh, and, and really kind of put that out there. So that was my, I would say my biggest transformative experience when it came to plant medicine. That's beautiful. You? I really Thank appreciate you. you sharing. I have a follow-up question because you, I know have had many, many, many experiences. And so that is your top from like nine years ago. Um, do you like, do you have a handful of other ones where you're like, Hey, if this was an entire show, I could hit like three or four or five more. Yeah. 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 I mean, I remember even the, the a real quick one. I remember it was another DMT experience and I, I'm sure you remember my Instagram account when it was a lot of, you know, training weed and booty, just like ass, ass, ass everywhere, you know, at ass the time, my, yeah, at the ass and grass at the time, uh, my wife, Steph, you know, beautiful in every way. Um, one of the best fucking butts out there. And, uh, I used to celebrate it on a daily basis. And, um, I didn't realize at that time that I, I have, I was essentially pretty much, I think over-sexualized, I would definitely say. And it was coming from a place of innocence and ignorance as well. Um, but I remember, uh, I smoked DMT one time and this, I'll, I'll wrap this up real quick and in in the dmt there is a there is an image that came up and it was betty boop oh interesting. Um, and remember betty boop was like an over sexualized cartoon yeah mm -hmm. super sexy cartoon black and white cartoon we're, we're old enough to remember betty boop i think the younger yeah. we, we have gen z listeners give that one a google yeah give it a google fishnet stockings black and white um cartoon and in this in this uh, metaphor this image betty boop represented steph so beautiful voluptuous sexy woman 
And she was just like walking. And I was like, oh yeah, that's Steph, like beautiful, sexy woman. And halfway through like this, this just sexiness, this, this, this space of beauty, um, Betty Boop turns to me as Steph and goes, keep some of this for yourself. And that was the message. Keep some of this for yourself. It was really profound. And I felt it. I felt it so powerfully. I was like, oh, and literally that day forward, I didn't post any more like that. It was like just something that, yeah. Yeah, I I noticed the shift. I didn't know where it came from though. Powerful shift. Um, And then there was another one because I kept up with like the humor. Um, You know, obviously like with the sexual humor, I had a lot of it, Um, a lot through just cartoons moving forward, no longer with Steph. Uh, and then even later on, there was another shift with that again, because I just think that as a culture, we're just very, very much over-sexualized in many ways. And, you know, not to get too deep into it, but once I became very aware of, um, the over-sexualization of children and human trafficking, which I just talked about the other day on one of my posts, I really made another big change and not promoting that and, and really taking a step back and realizing, you know, how, how can I not contribute to this? And that was another big shift uh, down the road. We do live in a Freudian fever dream. If mm. Freud was alive today, he'd be like, oh my God, like we really went all in on sex because we use sex to sell everything. And it's interesting. I read something, Justin, that in the, the middle ages, like the medieval times, they talked a lot about death and never talked about sex. And I don't think that's correct, but they may have been more okay with death than maybe our modern society because we never talk about death and always talk about sex. I think there needs to be that balance. Balance. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I've also had some visuals when, and it's funny you mentioned cartoons. I remember one psilocybin experience where I would close my eyes and I would see an interplay of Harley Quinn and the Joker. And just like in a very psychedelic, you know, going back and forth. And it was a very over-sexualized Harley Quinn. And for me, I just, with training, sat there and was like, I'm not gonna make any judgments. I'm just gonna be aware of this. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I'm a huge Batman fan. I love comic books. So this, this makes sense. And just sitting with it, right? I wasn't really able to glean the profoundness that you were able to. And, uh, but just mentioning that that's been a part of some of my experiences as well. But for me, and I, I do also want to preface this for our listeners. If you are listening to this, you probably are familiar with plant medicines. We're going to trust that you're doing this in an intelligent way. And if you want to know more, that's what the Nirvana Nation Facebook group is about. You can ask all and any of the questions and Justin and I would be happy to help you in the best way that we can. For me, like you, Justin, I've had myriad psychedelic experiences, which I'm very grateful for. And I've had a few that have been life-changing. I had a string of three psilocybin experiences that built on top of each other. And the first one, I was met with a female entity, which is interesting. I was laying under the stars here in Austin on a hill that's just on the south side of the river that goes through Austin. If you live here, you'll, you'll know the hill I'm talking about. And I was just staring at the stars, having a very deep experience and... I was met with a, what I would say a female entity. I, I, I don't think it was human. And it was sort of in the stars and it was presenting its hands towards me. And I'm doing this to Justin as I'm talking. And it had very similar, like, you are loved. You know, you're, you're starting to understand some of what makes the universe tick. And mm-hmm. you are in an amazing position to share this with others. So that was, that was a big one for me. However, the really big one for me was my experience with Bufo, which is 5-MeO-DMT. I was guided by a friend of the show, Sam Gibbs Morris. Definitely give that episode a listen, give that a watch. And dissimilar from Justin's experience, it was very intentional. So we had multiple Zoom calls leading up to the experience. I had 
intention writing. I wrote a letter to myself. I then showed up to an area in South, an undisclosed area in South Austin in a yurt. And we did meditation, breath work. I burned the letters in a fire pit, went back into the yurt. They had some amazing sort of primers for my brain, which was reading sort of an incantation that was all about, I let all of the shame go. I let all of the guilt go. I welcome all of me. All of me is welcome, like all this stuff, all this love. And then uh, took the the 5-MeO-DMT, which is through the Bufo alvarius toad's venom, which has been dried out. And for anyone listening, this is the only way I would recommend doing Bufo is to have a guide, have somebody that's there with you. Because once I took it, what was different from other psychedelics is before I laid down, my consciousness was in a different reality, a different place. And that place, the best I can describe it with the words that we have in this language is that it was overwhelming sacred geometry. It was overwhelming colors all undulating at the same time. My guides were amazing in that they were using sound bowls, a mixture of sound bowls, some Native American chanting, some drumming around me. And I'm of Cherokee descent. And so I felt like that really resonated with me and I could connect with that. And while I was vaguely aware of my body and just in this space, I, one, felt like someone pushed me in the back and I did purge a little bit. Thankfully, I had been fasted. So, it, it, you know, when I sort of came to, it was just like a little bit of water. And again, my guides were able to clean up after me and take care of me through this process, which gave me an insane perspective, a very much updated perspective on holding space. And I actually came back and took notes from some of those realizations. And the first one was what I would describe letting go of as letting go of all the bullshit. When I say bullshit, I mean the programming, the conditioning, the advertising that we live in, the expectations of our society, of others, and trying to find that essence of the self and just being. And I think that aligns with your consciousness description. And through that, the notes that I took was that this woo-woo adventure is the truth and that a lot of the spirituality that I'm into is the truth and that we are these souls in human bodies here for an experience and to learn. Also to trust myself, which I know came up in your experience and my feelings. Love Dela, my wife with all your heart. She's been such amazing in my life. And in all of my psychedelic experiences, I always come out being like, oh my God, I'm so grateful for this woman. Also more time in nature, meditating and time for myself. And what's been cool is I've been able to integrate that since also that all of the challenges I've ever been through make sense. Mm -hmm. And it really started to shift my perspective on the painful and traumatic things that we go through as humans in this existence. And that when we have faith, quote unquote, we trust that on the other side of it, that in hindsight, and that could be weeks or months or years or decades, that experience is going to make sense. And so for me, the message was continue to be your best self, continue to just put one foot in front of the other, treat people nicely, and trust that the universe, God, spirit will take care of you and it will all make sense. I also had an overwhelming sense of love and compassion when I came out of the first experience, I was bawling and I was thanking my guides. And I was like, thank you guys so much for this experience. Like, oh my God, it means the world to me, blah, blah, blah. And so it was all love. It was all like, oh man, you know, the things that really stressed me out, they had to happen for me to get here. And like, oh, the schools I went to and the people in my life, people like yourself, Justin, it all makes sense. And it all got me to this place. And that's so amazing. Right. And then of course, mm -hmm. like you being able to turn around and speak my truth, we did go into some past life regression type stuff because I was starting to get a little choked up. And so we talked about that and my guides were recommending that 
uh, if I spoke more of my truth, a lot of the vocal issues would go away. A lot of the <clears throat> clearing my throat would go away. And I, I'm grateful for for you, brother, because you've given me a, a way to be authentic and, and speak my truth. And so this is a part of it. And last thing I'll say, since that experience, I've had a very challenging time doing psychedelics in any other way. And mm. I now look at them as very ceremonial. I've been able to integrate more meditation, more time in nature, more time in myself, because I will sometimes take a small amount of psilocybin. And in the back of my mind, it's like, do you really need this, Sean? Because yeah. the things that we're doing, I might be hanging out with you, in which case I'm with a really good friend. I, I'm not with my phone. We're probably out in nature. We're probably out with some other good people. And in the back of my head, it's like, do you really, do you, do you need the mushrooms to do this? And so that's, that's been where I'm at. And that was very long winded. So thank you for listening. No, that's dope. And you know what? Um, I would love to ask, and I've been always really good about whenever I do plant medicine, um, especially uh, more specifically DMT uh, or Bufo for your uh, circumstance. A lot of people have a tough time um, grasping what they're um, experiencing and or remember what they're experiencing. I've always been able to remember in full detail uh, what it is that I am learning, experiencing in that moment. And it sounds like you were able to do that to actually be able to take like many notes from that clear, very clear notes on what you learned, what you experienced in that space. What do you think that's contributed to? Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily have an answer for that. So that's why I'm more so curious, like what allowed you to think it was the prep, so to speak, that allowed you to kind of take in everything that's coming in a million miles an hour for most people. Cause I know a lot of people that do DMT, that do the Bufo, that do these ceremonies. It's so incredibly um, sometimes quick or intense. It's a bit confusing for a lot of people that go through these. And I'm just curious, uh, maybe did you do something that allowed you to retain the information? Cause even Joe Rogan talks about how he goes in and he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. And it's just like, is this and this and this and this, and then he leaves and I've heard some people also uh, stacking some plant medicine, uh, a little bit of marijuana uh, with the Bufo. I've heard people do that. Uh, I probably accidentally have done that. Actually, actually, that's exactly what I do because I smoke the DMT out of the volcano and I don't put the, the, the medicine directly on top of the screen where it's going to vaporize. And what I do is I, I first put a very, very small amount of marijuana as a base and then I put the the DMT on top of that. So it's a little bit of both. And maybe that is what allows me to maybe be a little bit more grounded while also ascending at the same time, which allows me to maybe take in the information. Anyway, I was just curious, like, what do you think allowed you to kind of like take it all, keep it all, write it down and stick? That's a great question. It's something that I really haven't thought about until now, which is cool. And I'm grateful for previous Sean that did a lot of research. I would say upfront, yes, doing the intentionality, doing all of the, because they had breath work and visualization. My guides did before going into the ceremony. Highly recommend that. And you and I have talked about this in Nirvana Nation Facebook group with people who are having experiences. Listen to your guides. They're guides for a reason. They're going to have you do some work upfront. Highly recommend doing that, if nothing else. For me, it's honestly been reading. And it's been reading about not only people like Adi Yashanti talking about the 
he's teasing things out of what we could argue as a plant medicine experience, but he never talks about it in those terms. And he'll talk about monks who have meditated and whatnot. And plant medicine, I think Justin is the surefire way to get there, but people can also get there through a long-term meditation. They can get there through a silence retreat, a darkness retreat, like whatever that looks like for them. And for me, being able to retain and understand was reading and consuming so much content about spirituality, about plant medicine, reading books like The Immortality Key, which I highly recommend, reading books like The Ones I Gifted You, which is Sacred Knowledge, which is Psychedelics and Religious Experiences, Consciousness Medicine, because again, words are just tools, but they can give us ways to describe and define our experience. That said, I have my, my challenge is feeling more than intellectualizing because I will go into this experience and want to define every term and define my experience. And I need to remember to be conscious enough to simply feel because some things cannot be communicated with words. However, having Likewise. that understanding going into that experience has allowed me to tease things out, to be able to write things down. And so for our listeners, those books that I just named, including the psychedelic explorers guide is another great one, really diving into those. If you like reading, there's a book called the cosmic game by Stanislav Grof, who was one of the pioneers, early pioneers of breath work. That's an amazing audiobook for people who are into audible. And last thing I'll say is there is so much information on YouTube. And so even if it's a Joe Rogan podcast or something similar, really watching some of those, learning some of the terms. So then that can help someone define their experience. Yeah. Good shit. I love it, man. Likewise. On to the next. Next question. Let's go to Chaz Weisenstein, who's another member of our group. And he said, I would love for you guys to go into depth about anything that you guys want to release or express. All of us are open ears just as much as you are for us. Anything in life that was difficult that really helped you transcend to your higher self as to why every day it's important to get through to that higher self beyond everything you've both been through, what truly motivates you both to become the greatest version of you. And this was Chaz Weisenstein, amazing individual in the group. He's asked some really profound questions here and in the Q&A we had. So I guess to get to the meat and potatoes of this one, Justin, it's things that you want to express and maybe touching on something uh, difficult life experience or challenge that helped you transcend to your higher self. Man, I think just the tough moments always allow and give the opportunity to do just that. You know, for me, it's been relationships, relationships. And I just, I saw a post on this. I might've shared it with you or with a few people, man, that is a ceremony. <laughs> It's relationships are ceremonies. They are such wonderful teachers in every way possible. And I've done my most growth when it comes to uh, being in relationships, um, working through relationships and relationships ending. And I think those have also been my most challenging moments and having the ability to stay open. I kind of, I've kind of mentioned on the last podcast with Jared, uh, the ability to kind of stay open during harder moments when we want to contract, when we want to get small, when we want to retreat. And for me, the most challenging uh, has been when powerful, beautiful, loving relationships have kind of um, not necessarily ended, but transitioned into a different way or a different path and learning how to accept and trust and be okay and not try to hold and control and simultaneously keep my heart open and love unconditionally profoundly um, throughout the entire experience 
because, you know, when we don't get what we want, <laughs> when, um, yeah, yeah, when we, when, when we don't get the desires that we, we truly, truly want, uh, there's a part of us that wants to, um, the ego for sure. It wants to contract, almost wants to not see the story of the person, not, not want to uh, see what they're doing, uh, not follow, uh, want to possibly even mute uh, during these moments of like, oh, I don't get what I want. I don't get to have this person anymore. And uh, man, I, those moments were very powerful for me because they definitely came up uh, when a partner no longer wanted to be in a relationship and they're moving forward. And there's a part of me that just like, man, I really want to be with this person. I desire this person. I love this person. There's nothing more than I want this person. And to understand like, that's just not what's happening right now. And can I stay open? And uh, that was huge for me because the ability to stay unconditional as opposed to conditional has taught me and has allowed me to be the person that I am today and the whole space in the way that I do with the work that I do. It, it literally has catapulted me and expanded me in such a way I can't even, I can't even really comprehend it still to this day. And, you know, the individual that the way I was actually be able, and, and I must definitely give so much appreciation and gratitude to, um, the partner, the individual, because it was their unconditional love, the amount of love they gave me during the relationship and through the transition of the end of the relationship that gave me the ability to open and expand even more. It was like their love allowed me to grow and then vice versa. It was like this beautiful trade. Uh, that was one of the most powerful moments is like, yeah, just loving unconditionally, even though um, it's not something you maybe you really wanted at that time and letting go and loving. And yeah, that was huge for me and it allowed me to be the person I am today. I want to go a little bit deeper because during our Q&A, you shared some things about you and I made the comment to you that it was really nice to hear those things because at least mm. from a distance, you seem superhuman. And we also got a question in for this podcast that was very similar of like, how do you get through that veneer of what seems like this very enlightened superhuman individual? And so I know because of the conversations you and I had after the fact that there were challenging moments. Do you have some strategies or things that you used in your life to get back to your higher self, get back to that understanding that maybe our listeners can use in their life through their own challenges? Yeah. You know, I think feeling, actually feeling the emotions that come up, uh, you know, I go through, and it's funny you said that because I think a lot of people, because the way that I carry myself, um, is very true and very honest, but, um, the way I manage my thoughts, feelings, and emotions, I think is, um, very different than most people. And I, I, um, I handle them well. I handle them well. I do my practices, uh, my meditations, and I really am good about honoring uh, the frustration. I'm really good about honoring the sadness, the anger. And, you know, and I've been in two very powerful relationships, one with Steph and one with Melissa. And both of them in, uh, in, in, in these spaces, when those relationships came to a transition to an end, so to speak, what allowed me to... Um, move through with love was honoring the emotions that were coming up. I am really good about not distracting myself from them. I'm really good about, um, holding space for them. And whether that be in my breath work and meditations or just in that very moment, just like feeling what is happening in my body and, and feeling all of that and honoring all of that and then picking and then picking, um, you know, positive behaviors in that space to, um, release 
the energy as well. So first it's honoring whatever comes through, whatever comes through, like really sitting with it. And I can have a cry. I can, I can even curse. I can fucking clench my muscles. I can move my body. I can be upset. All those types of things. I can ask why, why, why? Um, and then after I go through that process, I, I, I release it, I let it go. And it's, you know, as simple as going outside and putting my feet on the grass and sitting with the sun and becoming very, very present and choosing love and, and fully accepting, fully allowing, fully trusting. And that's my process with, with all aspects of life, whether it be a, a flat tire, whether it be a relationship ending or even a death, you know, and giving myself the appropriate amount of time to feel the emotions. And I like using those three as an example because it seems to be kind of like a, a good way to express kind of all things in life. Um, you know, a flat tire isn't, you know, the end of the world, but, you know, you get a flat tire and it's pretty frustrating. You're like on your way somewhere, you're going to be a little bit late, but, you know, like you can even feel that, fuck, like fucking flat tire. I got to fucking fix this. I got to get out of my car. It's 110 degrees out in Texas, what have you. But then after five minutes of that, feeling that frustration, the flat tire, let it go. You fully accept, fully allow, it's what is. You know, in relationships that might take a little bit longer, that might take, you know, a week, maybe two weeks of really honoring and processing those emotions. And then you get good about, okay, I spent enough time in this space, feeling all these types of things. Now let's let it go and release it. And then maybe a death is something that obviously maybe it takes a month or maybe two months and you do that mourning process. And so I think understanding the importance of honoring the feelings and emotions that this person experiences in this life is profound. And then also um, the appropriate time to release and let it go. I really like the real world applications, like the very, all, everyone can relate of popping a tire on the highway. That actually happened to Dayla and I recently. And something that helped me was remembering that how I respond to it is most likely due to the conditioning that I had in my family and how my family responded to those things. Because and I know you are on the you vibe on this, Justin, there are many perspectives, there is no true belief, there is no true perspective of life. And so if one finds themselves in that proverbial pop tire experience, remembering that they have their response because of their conditioning, but there's somebody else who is having a vastly different response. And that response can be very calm, very positive. So how can we align ourselves to more of that perspective to go into the hermetic principles? How can we affix ourselves on that end of the spectrum? And maybe that helps us lower our blood pressure. Maybe that helps us manage more of our CNS. So I really like the real world applications you went into. Yeah. And what allows me to, again, manage things in such a profound way in a healthy way is my daily practices. I can't express that enough. You know, like when I went through these big changes, whether it's in a relationship or a move or a new community, um, the fact that I was, you know, doing my, my daily practice of breath work and meditation, my cold therapy, training, eating healthy, it really allows me to have the ability to pause and be less reactive um, and more in the observing seat. And that's, that's a powerful thing um, to have the ability to pause. And just take a moment. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of get into trouble. There is a trigger and then a, a, an unconscious behavior they kind of react into. And then there's also just um, not an awareness of that result or reward. And so I'm really good about noticing when I'm feeling stressed, triggered, overwhelmed. And I'm really good about pausing and being like, okay, what can I do right now to pick a bigger, better behavior that will give me a bigger, better result or reward? Um, and that's, that's, 
very, very powerful is all, just understanding also the brain it works in reward-based learning. And so, um, yeah, like just being aware and having the ability. So I understand that before awareness, before you can actually become aware of the behaviors that don't serve you, uh, there must be presence. So presence equals awareness and then awareness equals behavioral change. And this is incredibly important. And I understand this on a very, very high level. So the things that I do in my daily, my, my practice board, my daily practice boards, my presence board is full of present modalities, um, stillness modalities that allow me to pause and uh, respond properly, so to speak. A friend of mine, Chase Tuning, would be amazing to have on the show. He calls it the power of the pause. And there's so much to be able to unpack in that. And that's what I, I would, I, you know, truly believe like with my son, with my son, our kids, I'm definitely going to teach them how to meditate, how to take that pause because it can be very powerful. And I really wish it was taught in schools, man, pausing. I mean, I'm sure you are, you, you go through this with your clients a lot. A lot of it is like, I'm aware of the behavior that I'm doing. I'm it's in real time. I'm doing it. I mean, the whole time I'm like, why am I still doing it? And it's that pause. It's the ability to pause when you become triggered, trigger behavior, reward, trigger behavior result. Yeah. So I think noting, noting is very popular, like note when you become triggered, uh, you know, point it out, which will allow you to uh, observe a little bit more and not be so reactive. But if you aren't practicing a present modality like meditation, breath work, cold therapy, what have you, some stillness in your everyday life, pausing is going to be very difficult. And so I think that's the big thing is like having a daily practice of pausing, of presence, if you will, that gives you the ability. So when, when shit does go down, uh, you have a moment to like, whoa, I'm going to be less reactive and I can respond with more stoicism. I have a quick fun question again from Abby Tucker that I think would be a quick one that you and I can have some fun with. What species would you be and why if, if you weren't a human? Man, it would probably be some type of like ocean creature or bird i think you know like a dolphin or a whale <laughs> that's Just mine so we did not talk about this but mine is a dolphin it always has been i'll go into yeah. more detail but go for it yeah dolphin dolphin or some type of whale i would think something that lives really long too i think uh i'm all down for a long experience and then if it wasn't going to be a sea animal i would probably go with like a gangster bird of some sort like a, a high level predator bird though like hawk eagle like a hawk or eagle yeah, like an intelligent one that, or one of those gangster birds that literally pick up deer and throw it off the fucking cliff. Um, yeah, a something condor. like that. Yeah, you'd be a condor. <laughs> Fuck yeah, bro. I'm grabbing zebras. I'm just throwing them off. I don't care. Um, zebras I looking just, up being like, they're not even supposed to come after us. It's Justin dude, in another life. Just like, right. Ah. I just saw, I just saw a really great video of this dude who had one of those fucking birds and they hunted together and he literally like has it. It's huge. It's like the size of him and he sends it. And it literally grabs the back of a deer and it just throws it off a fucking cliff. And they hunt that thing together, this dude and this bird. And that's how they get their food. It's the most wow. primal, most gangster shit I've ever seen. I'm like, I either want to be the bird of that dude. That's all I know. Um, but what, yeah. So I'll, is it just a, a dolphin? Do you have any other animals? hundred percent. No, it'd be a dolphin. They like, no, that's the, animal. I've had this question. I've thought about this for years. I would pick the dolphin one because a dolphin has been in my life a lot. I went to Palisades high school in Los Angeles, which is the, the dolphin is the mascot. Also, I've had the opportunity. So grateful to say to swim with dolphins, both in the wild and in captivity. And so I've, I've been around dolphins a lot. 
I think they have a better deal than we do on this planet because they don't have jobs. They hang out in warm water. They roll around in packs. They have families. They mate for life. They also will use the puffer fish to get high and they pass yeah, the puffer yeah. fish underwater to each other. They also learn. There's actually dolphins who have learned how to beach themselves to basically push fish onto the beach. They briefly beach themselves and the fish will come back in the backwater into their mouths and then they'll wiggle out and go back out to sea. And researchers have studied this so much that the dolphins will bring the younger generation. So the younger generation will stay off the shore and watch this. And then over the course of weeks, months, years, they'll start doing it as well and practice it. They're, they communicate with their you know underwater sonar and, and the little beeps and, and clicks yeah, that they make. Yeah. And they also will fight great white sharks. They will fight killer whales. They've been known to protect humans. They're, they're definitely one of the smartest animals on the planet. And again, they also have appendages that you can't see, which look like feet. So I think they were once land animals that were like, fuck this noise. I'm going to go in the water and, <laughs> and live a different existence. So for all those reasons, help. I would pick a dolphin. Yeah, they also help, uh, I guess, back in the day, they even with births. Like they would do, uh, I, there's like dolphin births, like in the oceans. I don't, I don't know if this is a myth or maybe back in Atlantean times, but there's a, there's like an actual thing that I've read about where, um, human beings go into the water and, and dolphins literally swim around the, uh, the woman while she's giving birth in the ocean and it creates like some type of powerful vortex. And uh, I've read something on that and yeah, some really amazing stuff with dolphins. So good choice. I like the dolphin choice. Yeah. I would definitely believe it. I'm very grateful again off the coast of Los Angeles. I was body surfing alone and a dolphin popped its head up next to me and it just started swimming away really slowly. And these animals are, they swim at such high speeds. I was like, this guy's totally just wanting me to follow. And so I started swimming after him a little bit and he'd pop up next to me and then like, go ahead and then pop up next to me again. And I was like, oh, he's totally just like into this and like, what is having an experience in the same way I having an experience. Um, so yeah, very, very smart creatures. Well, I would love to also um, get into your answer for Chaz. Like what was something that you personally, you know, has allowed you, you know, like to grow from maybe a tougher experience? That's nice of you. I do have the relationship answer and I've talked about this in my own content. I believe I talked about it in previous podcasts with you. And so I'm going to let you have that relationship one and not go into my side of things because there's so much good stuff there that Justin was talking about. For me, my answer would be the recent IVF experience, which is in vitro fertilization with my wife, Dayla and I to even be able to get pregnant. It's a long journey that started at the end of 2019, but I learned that I have male factor infertility. Dela also had some fertility issues. However, mine is, I think, a little bit more of the persisting. Like, Dela and I are so grateful that once we were able to get the embryo inside of Dela, like, she's super healthy and, and it went off great. Like, I'm the one who had the issue. And so, one that involved a lot of physical pain with surgeries. I'm not going to you know, the audience might be a little squeamish, so I'm not going to go into it. I'm let you fill in the blanks, but I've had a lot of surgeries in very sensitive places and dealing with that pain and not being able to train, not being able to live my life. I had one surgery that put me on the couch for two weeks. I did not leave my apartment for two weeks. Thankfully, Dela is a nurse. So she was able to help me out. She was able to help me with healing the wound because I was freaking out about what was going on and not being able to get into my routine. 
Yeah. And so that from a physical pain perspective was challenging to get through and leaning on people like Dela, literally texting friends and being like, Hey, I know this might not be the most comfortable, but could you come over and hang out with me? Like, I really just need somebody to hang out with me right now. Like I can't really get off the couch, but I'm down to like watch a movie or hang out and talk. And so it encouraged me to lean on community, lean on friends and family. Also the mindset of hoping this would work out and trusting the process, having faith like Dela and I would have these conversations of, are we going to have children? And my response to Dela was always, I don't think our story ends without having kids, just with who we are. And yes, I could have been bullshitting myself or what I like to share with my clients, placeboing myself, because we know yeah. how powerful that can be. So shifting into shifting away from fear, shifting in a way from, oh my God, will this work? And then letting my mind wander, shifting into a perspective of this will work. Our story will end with having kids. That is why we're here on this planet having faith in that process, trusting our coaches, quote unquote, which are our doctors. So having multiple rounds of transfers and them not working. And then the doctors tweaking certain medications, certain lifestyle modifications, which is all like, stay away from dairy, stay away from gluten, like mm -hmm. eat healthy, real nutritious foods, continue to train when you can, those types of things. And so for me, it was that IVF process and teasing out from there is having good coaches, having good mentors, having good doctors in your life that you can use to trust the process, having that faith yourself. Like I said, that it all works out. The challenges all make sense in hindsight, and we're just not there at the end yet. And then um, shifting perspectives from away from fear, out of fear and anxiety into what best serves me. All right. I have a question for you, my brother. Yes, sir. One that I get asked a lot. And I actually really appreciate this question because uh, I feel like it should be talked about more, especially when uh, I think even getting into relationships or building relationships with people, whether it's romantic or through friendship, uh, core values. I don't think core values are really discussed enough when it comes to um, just our everyday lives. And I, I think a lot of people don't even know maybe what core values are um, or their own core values. And so I'm curious, uh, what are your core values and, uh, and maybe even why? I love this also because on the precipice of having our first child, Dela and I have a shared note where we started to pop in McDevitt family values because mm -hmm. we have some friends who are parents and they've decided and agreed on family values that they then frame and put somewhere in their home for their kids to see as well. And so that's allowed their kids to see that their parents are also beholden to these values. So when the parents are saying, Hey, this is what the family values, the kid can't say, well, you guys aren't doing it right. It's staring everybody in the face. And so we're working on that. I'm just going to go down the list. We create lists and then we're okay to veto it, but this is what we have right now. A lot of this is pulled from the four agreements, which is an amazing book. So the first one is be impeccable with your word. Second is do your best. Don't take things personally. Don't make assumptions. So those are all for the four agreements. Dela and I also have an agreement of be safe, or we'll often say to each other, hashtag be safe. And that's helped to determine certain activities that we might do, where if there is an overwhelming sense of we could die from this. So for instance, jumping out of a plane, that's something we both agreed for the relationship, for our values. We don't want to do that because we feel like there's just too much that can go wrong. And of course, people can disagree with me. That's fine. <laughs> See something, say something is another one that we often use, which is looking out for each other and over communicating. And this could be as banal as driving around, which I think is great. Like I know other 
people who their partner might say something like, Hey, watch out for that. And they're like, yo, like, babe, I saw that. And they get immediately defensive. Mm. We've decided to agree to see something, say something. So if she's driving and I'm like, yo, watch out for that car. She's like, Oh, thanks. Or if I'm driving and she's like, yo, I think that light's about to change. We're totally okay with that. It's also has its uses in our day to day. And if we think the other person has a blind spot that they're not seeing, it's okay to see something, say something. Those are kind of the family values we've touched on. The big one for me, Justin, is Mamba mentality. You know me, I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan. I'm staring at a framed Mamba mentality thing that says it's a constant quest to try to be better today than you were yesterday and better tomorrow than you were the day before. Hmm. And I think there's so much that can be unpacked from that. If I just agree to Mamba mentality in my life all the time, it's constantly trying to be the best version of myself, learning from my mistakes. There's so much to unpack there. Those are my values in a nutshell. I love it. Um, with my personal values, you know how there's like, there's like, like, um, I guess what I'm trying to say, there's like categories, but then there's like really big categories that things kind of fall under. So I went with the really, um, big categories that many of the things that you just mentioned kind of fall under. And I think a lot of people, um, more so go with the, the ones that you kind of mentioned. Uh, so I'm going to mention the, uh, maybe the, the more bigger umbrella ones that a lot of the things you mentioned possibly fall under and freedom is one of the values that I cherish truth, um, balance, love, awareness, presence, devotion, passion, acceptance, and reasoning. And those are my 10. Those are great. Thank you. The one that I added um, recently was reasoning. That was a big one. And I, I would definitely even say awareness. Uh, I live in such a high level of presence that I can actually lack awareness. I become very myopic. So awareness became, um, you know, I'm very self-aware, so to speak, obviously, with 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 how I operate. But I, I do become so incredibly present, so incredibly myopic. And whatever it is that I am doing, that I can lack awareness um, with my surroundings in, in many ways. So that's something that I've been really focusing on is a bit more awareness um, in whatever it is that I'm doing. But reasoning, reasoning is a powerful one. And this came up for me uh, in my previous relationship. I had like, I had an opinion on something and they had an opinion on something and we, we didn't agree. And this is where I didn't lean into my values. Uh, I thought my opinion was my value and, on this specific topic. And as and, and what I realized, like, if I would have lent, leaned into my reasoning core value, or at least had it established at this time, I could have became much more curious and open into why my partner maybe had a different point of view. And I could have become curious uh, because I value her input, her intelligence, in every way possible. And I want to truly understand why she feels the way she feels. And, and in that way we can look into it together. And because we share the same value of reasoning, we can then, you know, come to an agreement, even if we maybe are on different sides of that, that line. And that was a really powerful and hard lesson. Uh, because that also, I mean, long story short, it, it was also what caused the relationship to end was this kind of line in the sand without this beautiful core value of reasoning. So reasoning was tagged onto that after this very, very hard lesson of drawing this line in the sand without like, I don't want to hear your side. You know, this is what I think. Um, I don't care what you think type of deal. 
So that was a very, very powerful um, core value that I added. And yeah. It reminds me of compromise. And mm -hmm. I think we sometimes forget with the partner that we choose, they're also this living, breathing, sentient being who has intelligence and education and amazing perspectives to bring to the table. I think sometimes, especially as men, we forget that with female partners when in a sports or athletic context, it's very easy and it's always top of mind. It's like, oh, this is the person I want on my team because they're tall or they're physically fit or they're athletic and I know we're going to make a great team. And then you're okay compromising. Like coming from a basketball background, which I know you and I both have, it's okay, where do we want to get the ball? Who's going to get the ball in this scenario? What's the defense showing? And a lot of time we do that without emotion. It's just the goal is to win the game or the championship and I'm okay taking a lead role or I'm okay taking a secondary role in that scenario. And then when men, again, to be stereotypical, turn to a female partner, all of a sudden we forget that. And all of a sudden we think, oh, our perspective is the best. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you would think about this babe or in that direction versus understanding they have this unique, amazing perspective that can add to it. And that's something that Dayla and I have committed to, which is compromise. And it's okay to have these conversations. I'm curious, Justin, do you have these values in your home? Do you have them where you see them all the time? Yeah, they're written down on my fridge and I, and I read them every day. It's actually part of my, my routine. I read my core values and I also read uh, unique passages um, before my meditation and before bed. So yeah, these are something that I instill in myself and, and, and mention to myself and put out there each and every day. That way I can truly remember how I would like to operate and also like a partner uh, what I would like to attract in a partner and how I would like them to possibly um, align with me as well. So yeah, it's definitely written down and, and read every single day for sure. That's a major key for our listeners for these things like your values for what I would call non-negotiables, which you have a different word for Justin on your fridge, write them down. The fridge is an amazing place. Your bathroom mirror, the car places that you're in every day because you can see them and it's going to seep into your subconscious over time. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's one of the uh, things that have truly helped me, whether it's my daily practice presence board. And, you know, I have this whiteboard in the fridge that has, you know, 20 plus um, tools or modalities, if you will, that will allow me to step into presence in a more profound way so that I can, you know, just be more conscious. And so I have that and it's wonderful walking by that every single day and like, Oh, I just did this. I can check that off a little dopamine hit by the way. And just did this, I can check that off. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, now I can go through my, my core values and read that out loud with emotional gumption, you know, and then do the same thing with my passages, which is all about, you know, healing my body and my mind and clearing any distortions. And, uh, yeah, it's something that I, I truly um, love doing each and every morning when I wake up before meditation and uh, before bed. I love it. Highly recommend for our listeners. You Thank got you another think. question. I do have another question. Um, another one from Abby, actually, um, ways to rebuild the relationship between yourself and trust and ways to mediate. Uh, the consistent or the constant thoughts that people aren't who they say they are. So it's two questions, ways to rebuild a relationship between yourself and trust. And the second one is ways to uh, mediate the constant thoughts that people aren't who they say they are. The first one for me 
and this is what I kind of preach to my clients as well, especially those who are in the gym, take it back to just focusing on training because that training, you're going to learn so much about yourself. Justin, you and I know how the gym is such an amazing analogy for life, the reps, the consistency, the pushing out of your comfort zone, the breath, there's so much there to learn. And whether it's lifting in the gym or running or other modality of exercise, that's what I would typically re recommend to reconnecting with oneself. And then the meditation, the breath work, you know, those types of modalities, cold plunges, I think can all be in the conversation, really committing to those, committing to a routine. It can sometimes seem, I think, counterintuitive that if we commit to this routine, we're not going to learn about ourselves or we're not going to have space to be creative when in fact we have this routine and we're habituated to it. It allows our brains to kind of shut off and to have these different thoughts come to us while we're training. And so that's what I've been able to do. And then for me, it's reminding myself of those challenges that make sense in hindsight and staring at my 37th birthday next month, I have thankfully a lot to pull from and reminding myself of that. Like even my parents, they're in their seventies and I was having a conversation with them over text. My mom expressed some concerns over her ability to be able to do these things that she's handling. And it it's a very interesting perspective to be coaching your parents. And so yeah. I'm sitting there looking at my text and I'm like, what would I say to a client? And so I go back to her and I'm like, Hey mom, don't forget you've done hard things. You've birthed a child. You used to edit a magazine. You learned how to use an iPhone. You're on Instagram. Like you've mm -hmm. done hard things. And I call that my highlight reel because athletes can watch their highlight reel to remember, to remind themselves how great they are. We unfortunately don't have people following us around. Well, most of us don't have a, a camera following us around 24 seven, but we can write down a highlight reel. So that's the other thing I would yeah. say is write down in a notes app or, or, or wherever, you know, on your fridge, all of the amazing accomplishments that you've had in, in the past and, and pull from that. Yeah. I like that. So like developing a self-care routine, like working out meditation and stuff like that. That's what I had written down as well. And then like, yeah, kind of like uh, counteract your inner critic so to speak with your highlight reel, right. With self-compassion, grace, knowing that you've done hard things. So yeah, I had that written down as well. Nice. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like practicing. There's something to it guys. Justin, yeah. I just had the same answer. We didn't talk about this. In right. Um, practicing uh, regular communication with yourself, I think is a, another good one. And then um, being more vulnerable and authentic uh, with people. I think that's a really great way of, of honoring yourself and building trust with yourself. I, I think a lot of times with my clients, that's the hardest one is that we're, we fall into the people pleasing and worrying about being enough or worthy. And, and oftentimes we don't really honor ourselves in simple things like say you would, you know, you want to be in bed by nine o'clock because you want to make sure you go to bed and you want to wake up to do this thing for yourself. And, you know, you might be an individual that you know, that wants to go out and hang out with people. But when that time comes where you want to honor yourself and it's time to get up and leave at eight 30 to be home by nine, you get up and like, Hey guys, I'm going to take off. And everyone's like, no, 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 don't go. And then you easily, because maybe there's some people pleasing or worrying about if people will be offended, if you leave or whatnot, you choose to kind of like stay and not honor yourself. And I know that sounds very, you know, minimal, this type of situation, but what happens a lot of times when we don't honor ourselves and in those little small circumstances, we actually end up saying no to going out because we don't trust ourselves to follow through 
to go home when we told ourselves we want to go home. Or, you know, it could even be, say, um, just the, the ability to say no um, when someone asks you out on a date, you know, so because, or, or maybe you're afraid to let, let someone know that you're not interested after you go on one or two dates. So you avoid going out even on dates because you don't know how to honor yourself in those ways, like speaking up. And so I think that's a powerful one too, being your authentic self in all situations. Um, yeah, that's a powerful one. For me, I would define that as making a contract with yourself and then keeping it. Yes. And if we can't keep contracts with ourselves, it's going to be very challenging to keep contracts with others. And I like your example, Justin, of leaving the party or, or saying no when it's not a hell yes and being true to yourself. And for our listeners, watch how people, not that this is the goal, but it's a byproduct of what we're talking about. Watch how people respect you more. Watch how people are impressed by your discipline. And they will start asking you over time, how do you do these things? And I would define it as making a contract with yourself. Justin said, being your true authentic self. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get into um, our good friend Denon's big question. I think this is a fun one. This would be kind of a cool way to kind of end the segue to uh, our segment. And um, so it's a, it's a bit of a long one. So there has been a large masculinity push happening recently. However, I feel as if the pendulum has swayed so far from one side to the other. Uh, that we're still in a moment of the extreme. One of the things that many of these polarity experts preach is the man is meant to be the protector and provider while the woman assumes the nurturing and caring role. Now, while many women deep down do want to take the role as a more traditional family woman, while the man hunts or provides, in quotes, I feel like they are simplifying a topic that is far more complex. For example, most people in the West are not in a situation where a single source of income can support a family, at least most optimally, which means most women a lot of the time have no choice but to have a job as well. And this is obviously the case before they meet someone who can provide, as this is partly our duty as a man and we enjoy it. However, there is a growing number of cases of women who want both to be a family woman while also dabbling or maintaining a seat in her career. I love to uh, hear you guys discuss how couples can maintain their masculine and feminine energy while in this modern age, especially if you have a female partner, um, female partner, where'd it go? Who is highly passionate about her career. I don't Thank think you. this has been modernized well enough. And as I begin taking courses in relationship coaching, I'd love to hear your perspectives. Wonderful. This is an amazing question. I know Justin, you and I talked about it before hitting record. I'm going to, I'll dive in first because yeah. I've been with my wife for eight years and anyone listening, I highly recommend you check her out. Her Instagram is Dayla loves dumbbells, D-A-L-A loves dumbbells. And she has a very masculine presence and she's been the main driver of our business, which we started a few years into our relationship. So we had different jobs and then started coaching mainly led by my wife. I love this question. I was thinking about a couple different ways that I wanted to answer. The first is that we can all agree, like we said earlier, Justin, that our perspective is not the truth. And there are many myriad endless perspectives on life. And so for someone like me speaking personally, who welcomes a woman who shirks the more traditional quote unquote family dynamic, I'm totally cool with that. But I do agree there are men out there who would 100% want to be the sole breadwinner. 
And there are women out there who 100% want to be the stay-at-home mom and take care of the family. So we can agree that there are differing perspectives. Humans, we all have different perspectives of our time on this earth. And then from there, I would say there is, I would agree there is this swinging of the pendulum because there was in the 1950s, the picket fence, the one earner household, the 2.5 kids, and that worked for a very long time. However, in the 21st century, we've had a few different once in a lifetime financial crises, and that's led to some people believing that they cannot make it on their own. And so they need a partner that's also earning. The next thing I would say is those people who are on social media, we need to remember that they're trying to get views, they're trying to get likes, they're trying to get engagement. And so they may be a little more forward or in your face, or dare I say abrasive about their views. And so I have seen like I have friends who have shifted more into what might be considered a hyper masculine role, where it's the man's sole responsibility to be the earner and the woman needs to bring other things to the table like cooking cleaning taking care of the kids things like that i could go on a tangent about the research behind children needing fathers in their lives and the lack of a father in their life leads to myriad issues and so i would say even to that man who wants to be the sole earner of their household totally get it that's fine however i would say continue to be in the lives of your children from zero to ten and not falling to the fallacy of I can build the business now the kids aren't going to remember that is not the case, right? Yeah. All of that said, how I look at it personally is, of course, it's got to work for your own personal life. And if one chooses to be the sole earner, that's fine. I personally love a teammate. And we talked about this on a previous episode of the show. I know what I can bring to the table. And I love a female counterpart who can also bring something to the table, it creates this nice teamwork atmosphere. And in my opinion, makes things a little bit easier. I think, and this is me on my soapbox with what we've seen with economic decisions, what we've seen with inflation, what we've seen over the tenure of this country, the US favors people who have money. And it's not a race issue, in my opinion. It's not a male female thing, in my opinion. It's purely whoever has the gold rules. And for me, my perspective is if I can have a partner who also adds money to the overall pie, that's going to help us long-term. And I think we've seen that in the recent trends over the last 20 or 30 years. And we, it's the same thing with guns in Texas, because I think we always talk about, we vilify the people with money, right? Like, oh man, these people, they're getting, the rich are getting richer, da, da, da. It's like, that's not going away. So how can we play a role in it? Just like guns, I don't think that's going away. So for me and my family, it's learning how to use them in a safe way. It may be carrying a small firearm when we have children because there are mass shootings every day and learning how to survive in this new reality. So I guess putting all the pieces together, my response, my perspective is we have to make the best decision for ourselves while also understanding there are other people who have different perspectives and they may be loud because they want your attention and it's okay to disagree with them while also understanding that there are more ways to live life, if that makes sense. Yeah, I actually align with a lot of what you just said. I think also as far as, I guess, maintaining what the yin and yang in a relationship, right? The male and female. Um, I think if a man is in his truth and he is secure with who he is, he holds that masculinity, um, whether he is the, the, the main provider or the sole provider or not, he knows who he is. 
He feels good about who he is. He understands who he is, his truth. And I think that's very powerful. And that will allow a woman to be in her feminine. Um, she'll be able to trust him, whether, you know, you know, money, he's pulling money in or pulling a little less money in or he's the sole provider or not. I think that's, that's incredibly important is that she can trust him and she can trust him because he's in his truth. I think another big thing is being just aware that maybe if we are going to both provide and we're both going to be making money and working in this masculine environment, because that's what it is, um, having this understanding of maybe once we're home and we're chilling, how can we kind of fall back into the polarity of the male and female? How can we get our, our woman to drop into her feminine and to be more comfortable, to be more in her body? And that's something that when I was with Steph, uh, we were really good about doing because Steph was also more in her masculine than most women. She's very business driven, much more analytical than I am. I, I would even say I'm a little bit more, I guess, in my feminine, I would say in a lot of ways, flowy. And um, But I was really good at um, getting Steph to drop, so to speak, with my masculinity uh, when the end of the day came, you know, whether it was through physical touch or getting her to play and from childlike behavior, uh, getting her to go do yoga, go to the beach, what have you dancing. Uh, I was really good about those things when, when the work day was done. So I think if we can be conscious of how can we kind of create that polarity, um, in the household after maybe a long work day in the masculine, uh, that is incredibly important. You know, I think a lot of times women too, you can just be hyper aware of, you know, how much time you're spending in your masculine, you know, because I think a lot of times right now women are crushing it in the work environment and they're, they're doing a really great job and, you know, they're hanging out there though between eight to 10 hour days sometimes. And then they're also hitting up a hyper masculine gym space as well, you know, which is a few more hours in your day. So, you know, if you are spending a lot of time in this masculine space and your husband is, or your boyfriend or your partner is as well, just be hyper aware of this. When you do come home, you know, drop into that feminine, take a hot bubble bath, get into your yoga, throw some music on, have some fun dancing, do what you can to like fall back into that, that feminine space. And that way you guys can keep that, um, that fire alive and not fall into more so of a, a friendship, if you will, without that polarity, you will kind of start falling into more of a, a friendship type of space. So I think just having that hyper awareness of when you do have the downtime, can you find that polarity, that duality again between the yin and the yang? I want to add a tool to that because I think that's really important to tease out for our listeners, Justin, which is communicating on that point of masculine and mm -hmm. feminine. Something that yeah. Dela and I use, which we got from a relationship coach, which we highly recommend. You could call it a relationship therapist, counselor, whatever. We didn't have any problems per se, but we were looking for more tools. And this one that I'll share with you is something that we got from that coach, which is a number system. And so in that example, like Justin said, let's say the woman is totally in her masculine. She's crushing it at work. She goes to that gym and then she comes home. She can communicate that to her partner via a number system from one to 10. So she can say, Hey babe, I've been in my masculine a ton today. I'm kind of a four in terms of a one to 10 on energy. And I want to communicate that to you. And so now the man has an opportunity if they're, let's say at a five, six, seven, eight or above, they can then take the lead and say, okay, cool. We're going to go to this place for dinner. I'm going to do this in the house. This is the movie that we're going to watch. And they can be in that masculine space, even when maybe they would define themselves as more feminine and flowing through their day and not doing as many masculine activities. And that allows their partner, 
their female partner to fall into their feminine and be taken care of and not have to be the leader when maybe they've been the leader all day. The one thing yeah. that I would say that might ruffle some feathers is I think the people who don't do that are lazy. I think there's a laziness to some relationships and that's where some of the friction comes from versus like you said, Justin, working on that awareness, communicating with their partner, also stepping back and being like, Hmm, you know, if I'm the man in that example, I'm being like, Oh man, my partner's like really in her masculine all day. She's doing this. And so being aware of what your partner's doing, right? Same thing with the woman going, wow, I've been leading all day. I have a dude who might have muscles and be a big dude at home. How can I allow them to play in their masculine when maybe they've been in their feminine all day? And so anybody listening, encourage you guys to really communicate, try that number system. It's a great strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Awareness, I think is key with all of this, you know, and also like just high level communication. Uh, having that type of communication and just being aware that, you know, we are in an environment where usually it takes two people in the household to be pulling weight, especially with things being more expensive. So I think, you know, we can, we can definitely just be more aware. And I think kind of like, um, work through, um, the exact question or concern that Denon was kind of speaking on and, uh, yeah, make some powerful changes in the household when it comes to relationships. Last thing I'll say is not falling into the trap of materialism and the masculine world in which we find ourselves, because I agree with that wholeheartedly, Justin, that we need to remember that we are in a very masculine dominated paradigm. Maybe we didn't agree to this, but it's what we're born into mm -hmm. and realizing that as we go forward and try to make a living for ourselves and others, because the trap is people are successful and then their overhead, their expenses balloon to match how much money they're making. And when we can keep our expenses low when we cannot get fall into the trap of having the proverbial Lambo, just because you got a big bonus that month or whatever, it yeah. makes things a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Good stuff. Did you have, uh, you have any other questions on your end? First off, this was amazing. This was a ton of fun. Hopefully our listeners got a lot out of this. I know we have additional questions. We can save that for another episode and really expand this. I know I've had a ton of fun for those listeners. We've answered your question. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you. For those who are in Nirvana Nation, we will see you on some more Q&As because Justin and I will do other podcasts and additional Q&As for the, for the community. Yeah. Um, as Sean was mentioning with Nirvana Nation, he, he mentioned that we have the, the two virtual live breath works each and every month when becoming a member. The community chat board is actually my favorite thing about Nirvana Nation. The the support within the community, the conscious conversations that are happening within the community, uh, admins like yourself, um, Sarah and Nathan are just fantastic, keeping everybody um, just in this space of positive direction. Uh, supportive, positive direction is something that I really haven't really, uh, I wasn't even expecting on, on, at the level that it is, honestly, to be to be quite honest um, within this community. So I'm just really, really happy about it. And But what, um, what I was saying is like, we actually do these Q&As once a month within the community as well. So if you are someone who's looking for a supportive community that allows you to dive into some breath work and meditation, you have access to Sean and myself, or monthly Q and A's. We even have the book clubs and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, I'm just thinking of more ways that we can add more value, uh, to Nirvana nation. As we move forward, I was even going to ask, um, our members, if they would like me to bring back essentially like a, a daily pump, if you will, or a, like a, a daily workout that I can put within the group as well, whether that be, you know, what I did that day for training, 
uh, and even some type of meals or food or stuff like that. Anything we can keep adding uh, within this space will be lots of fun. I'm just having fun fucking with this whole thing. It's really cool. Yeah, I really love the holistic approach. It is honestly mind, body, spirit, and it's nirvana, yeah. mind, and body. And, and we're also touching on the spiritual side of things as well. What I love about it, Justin, is community members can have deeper conversations. So for yeah. instance, the Q&A here with you and me, we're just broadcasting. Like, thank you, listener, for checking us out. We really appreciate you listening this long. However, if you're in the community and we do a Q&A, you get the opportunity for a follow-up question. Like we get to see you on the live. We get to hear your question in real time. We get to ask you for clarification questions and go a lot deeper. And that's something that I have not been able to realize anywhere else, but their Nirvana mind and body community. That's the cool part that it is live and it's in real time and people are like, Hey, I would like to ask this. And like you said, follow up questions. And then those, those questions build other questions within the people that are actually in the chat. So yeah, just a lot of fun. So if you are looking for a strong, healthy, supportive community, which is one of the most important things I feel, especially as we navigate this thing we call life, uh, come check us out. Um, it's a lot of fun. We'd love to have you. So, uh, was there anything else you wanted to add before we pop off today? I would just say thank you, Justin. I really appreciate it. I've been very grateful for reconnecting with you. I would say thank you to our listeners. You guys are why we do it. We really enjoy it and just appreciate the time. I'm so grateful for it. Yeah, likewise. Looking forward to uh, building this this podcast and sharing more space with everybody. I'm really glad that we've definitely reconnected as well. Uh, My two cents was such a big hit. I love how everyone keeps talking about it. So it's kind of neat how it came full circle again and and, and divine timing. So thank you for jumping on today, my brother, and pumped for you to have a baby any day. And uh, yeah, man, let's keep doing this. Sounds good. All right, guys, till next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend. Drop the podcast a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode. We'll see you next time.